Hey everyone, it's David here from Bridge with the No Code and Code podcast, where we talk about scaling no code stacks, migrating the foundation to code, and reintegrating no code into code. Today we have Peter O'Malley on from Advisable. At Advisable, Peter has scaled no code pretty far. They've done some really interesting things, building a code foundation kind of in parallel with the no code one. And they have 500,000 zaps per month, which is extremely high. Um, some of the highest I've seen. So Peter's going to talk a little bit about how he has planned to make sure that that doesn't get out of control and that his company can keep growing and doesn't get really hit with the ceiling of no code uh, that can happen. Before we dive in, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Content Allies. Content Allies is who helps my team and I at Bridge to broadcast our message further by helping us with podcast production, articles, and social content. So if you want to expand the reach of your message, visit contentallies.com. Now let's dive in with Peter. Hello, everyone. David here with the No Code to Code podcast. We have Peter O'Malley on today. Peter's the co-founder of Advisable. Um, Advisable is a very impressive uh, freelance marketplace, which uh, I can screen share and show you here in a second if you're on video. But Peter's scaled uh, this company on predominantly a no-code stack. Uh, Airtable and Zapier, and he's gotten further than uh, most people that I've heard, like 99% of people. So um, when I heard of this, I wanted to have him on today to share uh, how he's laid the foundation for this, what his uh, scaling obstacles have been, and how he's overcome them, and how he's uh, looking at migrating the code. So uh, Peter, great to have you here. No worries. Thanks for having me. Do you want to kind of go through like the one minute intro on um, Advisable and... Yeah, I mean, and, and yourself as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so so I kind of came from a growth background. So I led growth for a few different European tech companies like Pointy.com. They had a point of sale device for uh, for small retailers that brought all the products online that sold to Google last year for like a little under 200 million and Web Summit, which is like a big, huge uh, annual tech conference in Europe every year that brings together like 70,000 people to, to Portugal now. And, and in between this, I was a freelancer for lots of kind of growth stage tech companies, mostly kind of like European based, like Travel Perk, and then also some US ones like Candy.com and uh, Airtime. Yeah, and, and kind of in this whole experience, I just saw how terrible the experience of both hiring a freelancer online and being a freelancer online was. And, um, and especially for me, because I'm someone who kind of like likes products that work really well and I like processes that are very thoughtful. And if you've tried like tools like Upwork or People Per Hour, they're just not that, you know, they're, they're usually very laborious, very time consuming processes that usually have mediocre results because good people typically don't go on Upwork and, and as a result, you can't find good people there. So I think with Advisable, ultimately what we're trying to build is the kind of uh, freelance marketplace that I'd actually use. And what that means is that from the client's perspective, uh, you come to us, you answer a bunch of questions, and then as little as 10 seconds, we make you a recommendation of someone you could hire currently across uh, 600 different marketing skills. And, um, and we basically are so confident in that recommendation that we offer a money-back guarantee if you're not happy with the quality of the talent that we recommend. And I think our goal is that we basically make finding a hiring a freelancer so easy that companies just do way more than they do today. And they start to build departments and companies on top of Advisable. And that's, that's something we're already seeing today. So we have like... Uh, hundreds of clients using our platform, including uh, people like Zappos and Lambda School, actually, and um, 
Stack Overflow, and we see like an increasing percentage of them. Say like people like Stack Overflow have hired like six people from us and built like a whole department of top advisable. And we have uh, lots of freelancers on top advisable, some of whom are earning their primary income from us, one of whom has made over like 100,000 and many more on the way to doing that as well. So we're basically at the point where things are starting to work quite well, but we're, we're still quite early stage. So we're, we're still figuring a lot of stuff out. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, you guys have gotten so much further than most people at marketplaces. It sounds like from just like, you know, revenue perspective, which is the most important metric. Um, yeah, no, we, we, we have a long way to go. So we're, we're, yeah. we, we still see ourselves as being like more or less day one. Maybe we always will. So who knows? Yeah, for sure. I, I heard the Airbnb founders uh, think that as well. And apparently Jeff Bezos too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Yeah, totally. So uh, when you're building uh, Advisable at the start, what? how did you decide on a no-code stack? Like what was that process like? What was the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, so, so, so like, uh, I, I think I'm a little bit of a historian of startups that I just spend like almost like a lot of my free time just like reading about startups and reading like retrospectives and like uh, on, on why different startups succeeded or failed or talking to people about why their startups succeeded or failed. And to me, like this, like I was just like surprised that like there wasn't a huge company in this space, you know, like this is like a, a space where there's half a trillion spent every year. And the, the market cap of the biggest company is like less than 2 billion, you know? So there's like a disconnect there. And, and, and like, to me, like it, it became obvious that like, um, like, like the, the problem you're trying to solve here is this kind of like huge unstructured problem of someone comes to you saying they want someone and you have to figure out who the best person is and build this kind of like process that's like incredibly flexible that will work for almost any skill and be able to deliver quality consistently and be able to like, work you know pretty much all the time so like in reality it's kind of like a process kind of optimization problem you know that you kind of need to figure out what are all the pieces of the puzzle from how you find talent to how you vet it to how you connect it to how you present it to how people manage that and you basically want to be able to test as many possible variants of that as quickly as possible in order to figure out what the kind of optimal way to structure it is you know and and to me like basically I, i've been kind of like a very early no coder i'd say that like i've been using like pretty much in trying every tool that came out that kind of enables kind of non-developers to do developer stuff since like as soon as they were available, you know. And, and like w- one thing I liked about them so much was that basically the speed of iteration is just way faster than even with the with their kind of like incredible programmer. So 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 basically if, if we're trying to figure out what this incredibly difficult, you know, process is that will help us find and bet and match this talent automatically, it felt like it would be far more likely for us to figure that out if we were building on top of a no-code stack, at least earlier on, because we could just test things way quicker and adapt things way quicker and uh, like arrive at the process that works, hopefully a lot sooner. And, and, and that, was, that was basically the philosophy that drove us, as well as kind of, um, as well as kind of uh, the, the fact that like not being technical also, like we had like one of our, our, our first employees, uh, Thomas, he's like a, a brilliant engineer who's, and product person and designer who built a lot of her app. But I think, I think for me, I like to be in the weeds of stuff and I like to be actually like hands-on doing stuff. And I feel like working with a no-code stack just enabled me to do that a lot more so I could kind of like run A-B tests myself and test things myself and try different approaches myself just on top of this kind of like no-code stack without having to kind of like redirect engineering resources. So yeah, that, that, that was pretty much the motivation. That's awesome that you were able to like interface with your engineering team right out of the gate, just build like kind of a no code code hybrid, <clears throat> hybrid solution, it sounds like. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think kind of what what we did is I think from our perspective, there's kind of like, there's like three parts of an app, you know, there's kind of like the data, then there's the, the processes to move data around, and then there's how you present that data, you know, and, and for each of them, we basically had like, we started off on a, like a no code stack, you know, to kind of like display the data, we used unbounce and passed lots of data into unbounce via params to pass the data around, we use Zapier and basically, uh, use that to, to kind of like manage all the interactions based on what users did in app and in emails and then to ultimately like host the data then we used Airtable and, and then each of those kind of processes were basically mirrored by a proper code process you know so we had like a, a Ruby app that actually displayed the data and we had lots of the processes the, the code processes running on top of that Ruby app and then we had a Postgres database that mirrored the Airtable so it basically just meant we were able to have the best of both worlds, you know, so we had both the, the kind of like no code stack we can hack on, but then also the proper, you know, stack that's yeah. kind of like robust and more, more than one engineer could build on top of it. And we can ultimately scale it, you know, which is like, I, I don't think I've heard a lot of people doing that, but it, it's, it, it seems to have worked. Or we're not quite at the end of it, but it seems to have worked quite well for us. Yeah, that's awesome. So the people that I've heard do, doing that, it's like a later stage thing that, um, ends up becoming like a pretty big challenge then. I imagine if you started off right out of the gate with it, um, it, it probably was much smoother. Um, yeah, I'm curious, like, so, so is your, so d did you start like at the exact same time basically? And it was like, all right, Airtable is our no code database and Postgres is our database, our code database. Was that just like right out of the gate? I'd have to check the timelines for probably like a month, you know, so I, I think what happened was that we, we were basically pre, pre, we raised like an initial round of funding kind of like two years ago and kind of like around this time, um, I like I was basically just hacking it together and trying to figure it out. Then we just happened to be referred to this kind of incredible uh, guy who's available. And um, I, I, I think it was almost like a happy accident that like he kind of came on board and he started to build things properly and we started to kind of like have these like synchronous processes, um, like uh, like progressing, you know. And I think, I think in a way, you know, we, we pretty much started at the same time. But I think in a way, we got a little bit lucky that we were uh, we had like this this guy came along who, who who kind of like shepherded the kind of like code driven thing while while I was kind of shepherding the kind of like no code uh, driven part of the the process basically. Yeah, that's that's um, it's awesome you were able to start with that because like another obstacle is um. That I've seen across other companies is usually the tech team just doesn't like no code and they don't want yeah. they don't want it to exist they want it to all be in code and that yeah I mean that's awesome that your your developer was like so open to no code and able to integrate everything um, yeah, yeah I mean, it sounds like yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and it's kind of an interesting like it's it's an interesting part of it. we're we're hiring like a senior kind of back end engineer now and someone who's basically gonna be who's gonna be like owning a lot of our kind of like proper like code uh, back ends you know and yeah. it's kind of an interesting part of the conversation when you get to people where they ask you like what's your stack and you're like well like we 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 have a, we're a Ruby app with the React front end but you know there's these kind of like gremlins and different people have like different reactions to it. I think from my perspective, the good reaction is that like, you know, people, people who are great, they tend to be like, whoa, that seems like a really good way of you to test things really quickly. Obviously it's not going to scale, but it seems like it was the right decision. You know, whereas a, a bad yeah. answer to me is when, when some people are like, oh, that's disgusting. How would you, how would you ever do something like that? You know, that's, a, that's a, like horrible, you know, and it feels like yeah. it, it, it feels just for pragmatism, I think, you know, and I think 
like for, to me, I think the great early stage startup engineers are nothing if not pragmatic, you know, because they obviously need to be conscientious engineers, but then I think they need to, like a lot of the time, like be happy with hacky solutions that aren't necessarily what you're going to be doing in five years, but will will test something or get some results like way before you would get it if you were uh, if you were building it properly. So yeah, I think if you have you have to hire a certain type of person to be happy with uh, how we've done things, you know. But I think it's a good filter for startup engineers generally, maybe. Yeah, I think you're totally right because. Yeah, I mean, the ones that I hear that are like, oh, you just built everything wrong. Like, it should have never built that way. It's like, I, I don't agree with that because <laughs> otherwise you probably would never get off the ground or, or you may, yeah. the probability you may never get off the ground is like multiples higher because your iteration speed is multiple times lower. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I think you're right that like that, that probably is something that like every early stage startup should should say right now is like you know what's your opinion of no code building like if we had kind of a hybrid like code database then maybe our ops team was like using Airtable, and then we like plan to migrate that in later like what do you think of that and if they if they just scoff at the whole idea then then they probably aren't it seems like highly likely they wouldn't be a good like initial engineer to start up because they're just trying to build everything like perfectly right out of the gate when you don't even know what you're you're building on on like a granular level yeah, and uh, and I think I think the interesting progression that we're seeing is that we're we are actually progressing to um, moving some part like 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 we're we're still aspiring for a kind of perfection. You know, we want yeah. we want like our, our, our the front the, the user experience on our app to be incredible. And I think it definitely wasn't incredible when we started. You know, because like there's only so like if if you're passing params into unbounce, you know, to to render things on page, there's only so good that can be. You know, but so you like yeah. lots of stuff, lots of stuff starts out pretty narrowly you know but now we're at the point where we're actually like aspiring to have like like best in class kind of user experience on our page and we want to we're building things to do it like incredibly well and to have it like the, the systems we're building now we want them to be ones that, that will last for years you know we won't have to revisit them every few months like we kind of do now but but, but basically that doesn't like i think the kind of the right kind of engineer needs to like aspire to that, but then be happy with that or accept that basically. But I don't think they can be yeah. necessarily happy. They want they still should want to make things better, but they shouldn't you know be cursing you know their their job because they have to do this because it's, it it was a good pragmatic decision I think you know yeah. yeah yeah it's like you have to do stuff in layers like like best can't best is the enemy of better it's if you yeah, start yeah. off with best then you may not you know get anywhere that. Yeah, I mean that makes total sense. So when yeah. you're starting, did when you're starting, did you use uh, like is, so? Is Airtable your like secondary database or the primary database? And then like, how are you how are you mirroring that with uh, with Postgres? Yeah, so, so Airtable is kind of like our well primary database, and then um, like Postgres Postgres just mirrors off that. And like Airtable serves like a variety of functions. So I think like as like a B2B startup, for example, or any B2B company, you need to have like a CRM, you know, so people need to be able to like search and action stuff for based on like different client requirements, you know, basically Airtable also acts like your CRM. So that just meant that we didn't have to use the CRM because that has all the functionality that we need on top of like different processes triggered by Formstack. But yeah, but ultimately Airtable is where we kind of like update things and then we, we sync uh, new records there to, to Postgres or at least change records like like periodically. So it just means that like we're, we're not like running a, you know, like 
a consumer app that's high volume. You know, we have like our, our average like customer value is very high and our relatively yeah. number of customers is relatively low, at least compared to any kind of consumer app. So like, you know, things updating, you know, once an hour, which I think is what it is right now, like doesn't actually, there's never been a point where a client has said like, well, this is like slightly off because they're just, they're just not checking your app all the time. They kind of like use us to get a result and then they get that. And then they probably like check in like three, four times a week or maybe a little bit more when they're hiring someone. So it doesn't necessarily need to be that kind of like constantly updating, constantly uh, like fresh thing. Like just because we're not that kind of high, uh, high frequency consumer type app or even uh, even like SaaS app that people like depend on. We're, we're more of a, like a, a service that people use like periodically, like usually a couple of times a week, but not on a kind of like intense basis. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like no code is, it scales further depending on that that frequency of use usage. If it's lower, it, it scales further. And then also if your customer LTV is higher, you also just get further because, I mean, the point at which you migrate is, is uh, like directly proportional to the amount of database rows that, that you have. Um, Cause that'll, there, there's like a, a low limit to that with no code most of the yeah. time, unless you use like a no, some of these no code tools, they go to like a million rows until you have to like refactor it, which is insane. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. So, so with that, like how many, how many rows are you guys up to like in, in Airtable? Like what does the size of the Airtable presently look like? Yes, yeah, so, so the max for like a non B2B user is like 50,000 rows. Um, and then after that, you get like a scary warning sign, you know, but they, 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 <laughs> as, of, they, they as of yet, don't seem to be taking any action based on that scary warning sign. But I think our, our general thing has been to kind of like stay around that level. So we kind of like, we, we transition tables off. And like, as soon as we kind of like are going above that point, then we start to like think like, which table can we transition off? So it's, it's quite pragmatic. So we're like, we're, we're, we've always for the last like while been around the kind of like max level, which is around uh, 50,000 rows pretty much. And we, we yeah, we could uh, we like being a startup, we're quite cheap. So we could pay for like the enterprise editions, so which is like, I think it's like two and a half thousand dollars a month or something based on our usage, you know? So maybe that would be, if we had infinite money, we'd probably do that. But this is like, a, this is kind of enforcing best practice, you know, as well, because we were, we're, we're, we're being the forcing function of the table, like the row level kind of like makes us be creative about like which rows we move off or which tables we move off and when, and which is ultimately what we need to do long-term. So it's kind of a good pragmatic forcing function, I think, so, yeah. For sure. So, so you're, so some of these tables now are, are the, are the master the master versions of that table living in Postgres now? And then do you like sync those? So some of some of the tables that are the master are like in Airtable and some are in Postgres. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, and basically we 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 moved to tables that don't really require our like internal team to interact with them, you know. And and but and then we're, we're building we're building uh, processes like say because our ter- our internal team does a lot of work on top of Airtable. So basically, when we're moving something across, we have to like firstly like replace all the ways that like our data interacts. Like if we're like updating something using an email or something like that, we have to replace all those processes, switch them from Airtable to Postgres. Then we have to switch um, like a lot of the like internal processes from Airtable to Postgres, which usually means that we build uh, tools on top of Retool to replicate whatever the, the people, the salespeople were doing on top of uh, on top of Airtable. 
um, yeah, and then and then obviously just move the database across. So like, yeah, but usually we have like pretty much like an Airtable database that lists all the tables, processes, and um, and uh, views. So we have like a good idea of what the dependencies are. Or in an ideal world, we'll have a good we'll have a good uh, view of what all the dependencies are. So we can say if we want to move this table, we need to move this these six processes, you know, and, and then we, yeah, and then kind of like size up what that actually means. So yeah, it just means that we have like a pretty clear view or relatively, we will have a relatively clear view of what all these dependencies are. That's yeah. That when, when I was at Lambda school on their engineering team, it, we had a similar stack. It was like uh, Airtable, and um, we were using Postgres database and um, had like zaps hooked up to it. And it was, it was the same, the same situation where it was like some, we moved one table over at a time and switched from like that being like the master, uh, master of the slave database. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's like a lot of tricky engineering that has to happen to get there. Well, not really tricky, but it's, it's like, like you have to interact with the Airtable API and kind of build a lot of custom stuff. I imagine you guys did. Yeah, but but I think a lot of the time when we move a table off, we're not necessarily moving all the, the processes off of uh, no code. So we're switching them from interacting with Airtable to interacting with Postgres, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah so they're not necessarily like this, like in an ideal world, we'd be switching everything over. But I think sometimes, again, being pragmatic, sometimes you have to, you know, like accept that like, oh, this table will now be on that. But then you have like another task is to move the, the process properly off of uh, off of Airtable. So that, that's kind of like totally. a consideration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you're so when you move it to Postgres, you just change the zap trigger to Postgres. Yeah, pretty much. Which, yeah. which, which is which is which is obviously like there's, there's lots of considerations. You know, it's 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 it's, it's it can be it can get pretty kind of uh, complicated. But uh, yeah, but that, that's yeah. that's more than there. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's the safest the safest and most pragmatic way to do it that I've seen because it's like it just reduces the scope of of each piece of the migration it makes it so you can move like far faster than having to like just plan the entire the entire workflow switching over to code at yeah, once. yeah 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 and i think i think generally i think um like i think one of our principles you know when we're pushing updates is just to not change too many things at once you know when we're like, yeah. Well, like and, uh, yeah which i think is probably a, a general a general idea you know and that just means that like if something breaks, we typically know what it was, you know, or is it if, if the case where we move everything across and something breaks, you know, could it be, it could have been the tape, the database that broke, it could have been the processes and you're like, uh, it just creates a lot of like uncertainty, whereas it just means that you have a lot, like your investigation into what breaks is a lot quicker and more efficient if you, uh, if you change all this at the one time. Yeah. Totally. And with, um, do you have like a slate, uh, not a slave database, um, it basically a follower date, follow Postgres database running that you connect Zapier to, or do you just connect it directly from like directly to the production one? Yeah. So we connect it to the production one, which, yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's <laughs> best practice, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's, there's probably engineers out there who's, who would hit me for that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, but that, that's, that's, that's what we've been doing so far. Well, yeah. So uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're also updating, we're also updating Postgres a lot via Zapier as well and triggering stuff a lot via Zapier. Really? Just, yeah, just because it's like, I think I, I, don't, I haven't seen it done too much when I've spoken to people, but I think like 
even triggering things based on um, like custom queries, you know, so like when row equals X conditions is just like one of the most powerful things you can do on Zapier, you know, just like, yeah, yeah. you know, it unlocks, and I, people don't do it that much be, maybe because it's like a weird thing to do generally. So there's not like not so many people that play in this territory, but it's kind of like, it's such a powerful thing to do. And it just means that you can kind of like, you can trigger things based on such complex triggers, basically anything you can do in like a SQL query, you know, you can use that to trigger an action in Zapier. So it's kind of like incredibly powerful when you think about it, but, uh, but maybe most people who use Zapier aren't also using Postgres or aren't like proficient enough in SQL to figure that out. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah it's for very sure. powerful. Yeah, you're, you're writing the SQL query and dropping it in Zapier, right? And saying whenever yeah. like a new row shows up in this SQL query, then trigger the action. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did that at 62 and it was well, when we um when we migrated to a code environment and it was incredible. It's like it it makes it so yeah, I mean your triggers can be so granular, so specific and um the, the interesting thing in, in your case though is writing back to your production database with Zapier. Um so every time that I bring up this idea to engineering teams, there's uh like uh, even just connecting to um Zapier to Postgres, it's like okay, it's got to be a follower database because, um, you know, like what if it writes to it and like just you, you have yeah. this open connection to the production database, which could like crash the whole app. So we'll almost yeah. always set up a follower. But then the thing is that like, if you do write to the production database, then you un unlock this whole new level of, of uh, agility and, and power. But it does, yeah, yeah. I'm curious how your engineering team has dealt with the issue of just um, reliability and, and how like that conversation has been and what the uh, consensus was the solution. No, I, I actually think it's mostly like we, we like mostly said I'm quite conscientious in what I do, you know, so we have like, a, yeah. a, 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 I think, I think we're letting kind of like more junior people. So this is definitely not a scalable solution. You wouldn't have a team of me's doing this, you know, but I think I have a pretty decent understanding of how everything works, but, but I do have a like, a kind of request for products, you know, that I think could actually solve a lot of these problems, which I, which I, I, I like, I actually just think that there was like, um, like say like a Zapier app that basically only allows you to create rows if you have a certain condition and only allows you to update rows if you have a certain conditions. For example, if you like, mm. if, you, if you set a timestamp or if you have, have to have certain attributes or it needs to be connected, it needs to have linked to another kind of row. You know, like th that would basically mean that the, the amount of damage you can do would be would be way less. You know, so someone like if anyone's out there wants to build like a nice no code product, they actually just think if you just have like a really simple way to um, like basically allow like non technical users to create or update rows, uh, adhering to kind of uh, constraints given to them by like the technical team. I think that would just unleash so much potential. I think it would just mean that like you could give uh, like me in a big company access to something and like. Like assuming I can only kind of create one one row or update rows at certain conditions or mesh, then like I can I can't like destroy things, you know. I can only do I can do bad things, but I can't do bad things that will break things, you know. If that if that was done well, I think I think it's very possible, you know. I'm obviously preoccupied, so I'm not, I'm not doing it myself, but I think uh, I, I think there's something there, you know. And I think it will be, yeah. become more more common. I think. Yeah, totally. So so your feature request for Zapier is to build that. <laughs> Well, maybe not. I actually think it could be like a third-party product, you know, that... Um, oh, yeah, really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but uh, yeah, but basically, I, th I think it would just basically be like a third-party tool that uh, connects to your Postgres database and lets you kind of like there, like create actions in Zapier you know, that, that, that users can use, you know, so I can create like a 
create like application action and then that when someone wants to use that action they have to have all these rows otherwise it doesn't let you create that action you know so it basically just acts like a layer on top of um, postgres it just means that non-technical users can't do bad things or at least like technically bad things you know so yeah totally yeah that, that, that makes yeah. yeah it makes it makes perfect sense because it, it um it it just makes it so that um yeah, writing the production database can't cause as many issues. And that's, that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest problem that every uh, engineer that I've brought this idea up to, to says. So, you know, if, if this makes it so teams are able to write to their production database with Zapier, then, I mean, it's incredible because then you can use Zapier for so much longer and have so many, um, just, just more people that you also trust using it, which is like, I mean, so much agility that, and um, yeah, and, and speed of development that can unlock for startup teams. It sounds like yeah. what you're, it sounds like, if I'm understanding right, the reason why your engineers uh, are okay with this is just because they trust you and they know that you know the system, right? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it probably also helps, you know, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's probably it that I, I, like, we actually don't have like very many, like, we have like like very few issues, you know. Like things don't things happen. Like fingers crossed, uh, have yeah. gone wrong at least like in any kind of like big sense. You know, it's been like small hiccups, but I think it's been like relatively like smooth sailing. I think that's that's probably like mostly a credit to Thomas, or, or kind of like head of products. He's kind of uh, he's kind of like been the kind of like lead architect of the, how things interplay from a code perspective. That I think. He's been very conscientious in how he's built things and very thoughtful in how he's built things. But yeah, but we like we don't have like a huge amount of issues, you know, like like probably less than other startups that, that I've worked with that have been like built properly, you know. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think I, I think I think that's mostly like it's mostly been Thomas where I think he's basically been so conscientious in how he's built things, it's kind of like limited the potential for my destruction. So <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So are you the only one who's building like any of the zaps or any of the no code uh, tools right now? Um, no. So, so we actually, so we, yeah, we, we actually have a, a, another person who, who, who's, who's another kind of like brilliant kind of like no codery person who, who also happens to be my brother. And he, yeah, so, we, <laughs> so, so maybe you need a certain type of personalities that, that are, that are genetics give us, but yeah, but, he, but he's, he's been like, He's been building something that's probably like like this this kind of like uh, a whole other system that we basically use to track uh, companies that are basically likely to want a freelancer. And he, yeah, he's used a lot of no code. And he's kind of like increasingly building on top of this stack. But I think I think it requires at least without something constraining the damage people can do. It just requires a very high degree of trust and a and a and, you know, a high degree of confidence. You know, and I've known him. You know, for almost 30 years at this stage. So we built up that relationship at that point. So, uh, so yeah, but, but yeah, but I, I, like I, if I, if I hired like a, like a relatively junior non-engineer, I think it would take me quite a while, you know, to, to build up that level of trust, you know, that, I, but I think, I think it would be possible, but I, but even, even level of trust that they're not going to be a bad actor, you know, that they're not, yeah. not, not bad and that they're also going to be competent, you know, which is like, that, 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 that would probably take a while, you know, but, but, but I think if you could limit, if you could limit, um, like I'd say if you could, if you could enforce best practices from engineering, so say stuff like code reviews, you know, and say stuff like version control, you know, and then you had some way to limit that they, the, the amount of damage they can do by having something like what, what I described there, like then like, that would be something like, 
like I feel like that would unleash a lot of potential, but I don't like, but I feel it's like quite a ways away because I feel like, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes that makes sense. Um, but then maybe it becomes much? engineering at that point. So maybe maybe they're all maybe they're you know maybe it's just it becomes what it was trying to uh, like trying to uh, take over. You know, if they have version yeah. control and code, code reviews and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. If you can get those features, I want to I want to come back to those and and drill down into like how you're doing them, but. I'm wondering right now, like how many people are, are on your team total? Um, Cause it sounds like it's, you have like a smaller, smaller team right now, which is why, uh, why this, this may be working more easily. Um, your whole, yeah. whole scaling and transition. Yeah, no, yeah. So we're, so we're like a very small team. So we're just like six people right now. Uh, wow. And then uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're hiring more now. So we'll, uh, we'll see how, how that's impacted. But um yeah, but yeah, but, but um, yeah. To me, like, the, like I think there'll, there'll obviously be some concerns, but I, I like, but I, I like it, to me, it doesn't feel like like I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, you know, as you could probably uh, as you could probably tell, and it doesn't seem like there's yeah. any hard issues that we're like we're going to be facing as a result of kind of like growing the team or, or scaling things, you know. But I think just most of our concerns are kind of like more long term, like we're onboarding like more engineers, for example, you know, like. Uh, then it becomes tricky because we're just like, uh, like a lot of the no code stack is kind of in my head, you know, and how we're doing things just yeah. because it's not, there isn't proper documentation, there isn't version control, there isn't like, there isn't GitHub for no code, you know? So there's just means yeah. that like, like it will become like, like I, I'd say if the, the problem will be more long-term that like scale, unless the kind of infrastructure to allow kind of like people like me to basically continue to do this stuff in a, in a way that enforces best practices that have been developed in software engineering for the past 20 years, like that will become a problem because how, how is like the, the fifth engineer, you know, going to like imagine all the explanation that will need to be required for him to know or her to know how to update yeah. a row, you know, it's, it becomes, I think it's more of a, it will be a knowledge issue, but I don't think we're going to face that for probably a little while, you know, but maybe I'm being optimistic as entrepreneurs tend to be. No, I, I think, I, I think you guys are like in a really, really good state with it because I mean, from what I've seen, like talking to a lot of companies uh, that, that are on no code stacks and just, uh, you know, being kind of in the space for a while, the larger the, the larger the team, the harder it is to migrate off of, because just yeah. like you said, like, just like you said, uh, there's no documentation. Usually people are just packing these things together and then you add engineers on and they don't have any of this like tribal knowledge or this context so like you actually do have to sit down and like spec the whole thing out and and um you know all, all kind of steps like that so yeah, yeah i mean it, it sounds like it yeah it sounds like you guys are just like at a great state because um because you're also like in the middle of you have like a migration bridge <clears throat> built out which is like this um this air table to postgres connector yeah. and, and you're already at a small team so it's like you you can do and you have like a process for it where like you can move the zaps individually and you're not like rewriting everything it's, it, i mean it sounds like you guys are in one of the best states like and, and doing one of the smoothest migrations that i've uh, that i've seen well, well time, time time will tell yeah you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like ask, ask me in six ask me in six months so i think <laughs> I, it's it's like there's i like there's, there's there's lots of things keeping me up at night but i like at least right now this is one of them so uh yeah really yeah yeah i mean the whole it, it, it is like when you build on no code a lot and, and scale on a lot of it, it is kind of 
it, it is its own obstacle later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that being said, like what, um, what have the biggest obstacles been while you're, you're growing on, on the no code stack? Like what would have been like the biggest hitch points, I guess, to date? And then how have you gotten over those? Yeah, I'm not, not, not sure there have been like massive obstacles so far. I think, I think a lot of it is that like a lot of like, I, I guess there's probably like thousands of people who are kind of like independently figuring out the same thing in no code, you know, that it's like, uh, like yeah. I speak to, I speak to people and they, they tell me about something they did and I'm like, Oh, well, we also did that. And then he's like, and then they're, they're like, um, uh, well, like, how did you add this? It's like, oh, I tested like 10 things and then, then I like can't arrive at this, you know, and it would be amazing if like, I, I think uh, MakerPad and a few of these places are doing this, but I think if the, the more resources, the more standardization of things, the, like the better that I like, the, like the more of these are coming up. Like I think like MakerPad are probably the biggest, is it MakerPad, uh, the, the correct one? But yeah, but there's lots of these coming yeah, up. Yeah. And, like I think, I think they're, they're kind of, they're kind of just been, they've been becoming more prominent last year, but I think there's, there's very little, at least when you're playing in the kind of like territory that I'm, that, that, that we're kind of playing in, which is kind of like a mix of kind of like no code and code, there's like almost like no resources, you know, which is probably, you know, maybe people don't like talking about it. The kind of people who are doing it are probably too busy. You know, they're probably a little bit ashamed of what they've done, you know, so there's all, the, all yeah. these forces just meant that pe people, people haven't been nearly as open about it as the, like say like engineers are about um you know like like different things that they do you know this is it's a culture and like engineering of people like like trying to kind of like explain how they do things and trying to kind of set new standards for how they do things that like this uh, people like answering questions on stack overflow and people just like posting blogs about things you know and i don't think the same culture has has been brewing you know in no code or at least it hadn't been up until quite lately you know but I, I i think that will change you know i think people people are kind of like coming people are coming out more and more as uh, as, as no coders and like i would guess that lots of the same phenomena that happens around like engineering will probably develop you know there'll probably be like lots of shared resources there'll probably be like communities online there already are there'll probably be like a stack overflow for no code and there'll probably be all these same things that kind of like solve these problems for software engineering, you know, I think we'll, we'll start to become a thing for, for, for no code, you know, and I think like lots of these tools will, I think will probably have the same level of fervor that programming languages have, you know, there'll be fights between, you know, like people who use Airtable and people who use like clay.run or whatever, you know, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and, and, and there'll be philosophies around them and like communities built around them. And I like, and I wouldn't be surprised if like almost the same things happen, you know, which probably means that like, a lot of the same problems that have been solved will need to be solved and a lot of the same companies that have existed you know for for software engineers will exist you know for for no coders like assuming assuming that the, the trend continues which, I, which i'm pretty confident will so like i it feels like we're we're at the kind of like i don't know like early early 90s stage you know in, in terms of like accessibility information and and knowledge uh, with regards to no code, and that just means that there's, yeah, there's, there's a huge knowledge gap where too many people are figuring out too many things independently, uh, which uh, which probably like slows them down and probably leads to a lot of those bad situations you're talking about, where people make you know like unconscientious bad decisions based on a lack of information, you know. And but I, I think I, I'm I'm hopeful that that will change. And there's there's lots of like very promising science that will change, and there's lots of communities, as I mentioned online 
you know, and lots of forums with products like Airtable that are actually becoming quite vibrant. So I, I think it will change, but I definitely think that that's probably been the biggest thing, just having to, you know, be given these fairly like use case agnostic tools and then trying to figure out how you make them do, do these things, you know, and then the fact that thousands of people doing the same thing, there's no way for you to talk to each other or learn from each other. But I, yeah. think, that, I think that will change, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like that, that's the problem is that building a whole web app on without code is like this new thing. And there's haven't been enough people that have gone through the cycle. So just scaling really far, having to migrate to code and then like reintegrate no code and just all the variants of, of things that, that could happen there. So there's no playbook. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's few resources. And yeah, I mean, you're bringing up a good point that like the, there are very few people who've gone through this process and, um, and yeah, they're like too busy to document everything because they're like scaling yeah. their startup. Um, yeah, so so there is this like knowledge gap there that that I think I think you're right. It is like the '90s, and it's just so early on, but it will be filled um, by like Stack Overflow equivalents, GitHub equivalents. Like you need all the same kind yeah. of features to like merge together. So what were like the granular things that were like, oh, this was an obstacle that I noticed other people have that seems like a common problem that's like just characteristic of like scaling on no code you know to no fault of of your own that that you've you've seen and just like there wasn't a resource for and you're like wow if there should be a resource for this it would have saved us you know like however many hours or days or weeks yeah no no i, I think i think one 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 example of that is that say um if you're mirroring uh like a, an airtable database postgres you know, you yeah. kind of have to, uh, you kind of have to like uh, every, every periodically you have to like, like check what updates have changed and then kind of update that in your database, you know, so it's kind of like this big query, you know, but, but, but I think like, like, like and basically got to the point where we were like, we were like, once our database grew, it was like, oh no, we're, we're like, this is so many API calls that we're like, we're, we're getting in trouble, we're going over this limit or they're failing. You know, but whereas like a simple solution to that is like you can just query the database for just rows that were modified, you know, which which obviously seems obvious, you know, but it's like, you know, the, the, the modified field just isn't even shown in the front end of uh, Airtable. So it's not like necessarily obvious, it's even available, you know, and you can, you can see it if you look in the uh, in the formula, you know, you can see that there's a modified stamp in there. But, it, but it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. like not obvious. And then you can go from like instantaneously, you can go from like syncing like, having to sync tens of thousands of rows to only having to sync hundreds, you know, which just like takes the load greatly off the amount of API queries made. That, 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 like, that was just like one example that like, you know, like if you were able to like, that would, that would be like, if it was like the best practices for this, that would be like one of the first things people tell you, you know, because it's just like yeah. so obvious that and it, 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 it would solve so many problems, you know, and it lets you kind of like, like, like that, that was one of the big early scaling problems, you know, that's what we thought we were going to have to move off this entirely like way quicker just because it was like, like you know like syncing once every hour isn't ideal but it's fine syncing once every two hours you know then it becomes a problem every three hours and i think you're going to start having a dexterous effect of the user experience you know and i think like this lets you solve that problem you know and that, that, that was just like one example it's just like one thing that like that would be in the 101 class for this if there was if such a thing existed you know yeah but, yeah yeah for sure because if you're going to migrate off Airtable, you need to build this this uh script or the process yeah makes sense yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, we, similar thing at Lambda school. I mean, yeah, if you're using Airtable, you gotta, you gotta do that. And same thing with, um, 
I mean, a lot of people use G Sheets as a database, which is even harder because it's not yeah. uh, inherently relational like Airtable is. Um, and yeah, it's like a, a really similar thing that, yeah, just 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 doesn't have resources for it online. Is Airtable the only thing that you're like actively migrating right now, or are you like I guess you've already migrated like off of Unbounce? Yeah, no, look, we actually still use Unbounce for 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 some processes, but it's usually like say really? like um, we have a whole like uh, we have a very weird setup now where we kind of because. Unbounce forms aren't very good, you know, but forms like forms are really good, but the, like uh, rendering them, rendering them on another page is kind of like annoying, you know, but uh, basically just render forms like forms on top of um, Unbounce and then just like feed into the params to identify like which row or which user it is and then have them updated based on that, you know, and I, we still have like quite a bit on that, but it's basically like stuff that's like not very important to the user experience. For example, like we have like a whole unsubscribe center that actually like looks and works exactly like any other unsubscribe center and like but but it's all based on top of uh unbounce with a form stack page on it you know they can unsubscribe from certain things but not others and do all the same stuff you can do in anyone but it, but it's not that but no no like for example like that's a, not ideal from a user experience perspective but no one's going to be like oh they hate this company when i was subscribing from them you know look their their, their form looked a bit janky you know because all unsubscribed forms look terrible you know so yeah um, for sure yeah yeah and our, ours looks a lot better than that unsubscribed form i've seen if i, if I might say so um, yeah, yeah. But, but but i think it's, it's stuff like that where it's, it's not having a negative impact on the user experience we still have quite a bit you know where it's basically um yeah like yeah like say like giving feedback on a uh, like uh, on a candidate giving um, like uh, and then we do a lot in SendGrid as well so we, we built a little thick tracker on top of SendGrid that using um, Zapier with a bit of custom code where we can just like identify unique links and then people can click them and that updates the database automatically so we do that quite a bit but that's actually a great user experience you know because uh, people you know people don't have to click into a, a third-party website you just click an app and then it gets registered and then that, that, that that's like another example of like a front-end thing that isn't like built in app yet. So we still we still have quite a bit of stuff, but not none of the core experience. Like all, all the core experience is kind of like uh, uh, pretty nice. Actually we do yeah actually actually we were we were rebuilding our, our client sign up flow because we, we wanted to kind of like we, we, we like we weren't very happy with and we were testing a variety of different things. So now we actually have a, a, a like an A an A B test running on our client sign up flow that's unbounced on top of um, on top of uh, a form stack on top of unbounced. You can actually see what it looks like. Really? And it's like it's it's not an amazing experience, you know, but it's like it's not it's not glaringly bad. You know, it feels a little bit janky and it feels a little bit weird. And we're we're gonna rebuild it in around two weeks. But but, but basically this just meant that we were able to test we tested this we test like three or four variants of this, you know, and it was just like way quicker for us to test this on on, on unbounced slash form stack than it would have been. And now we have like uh, it's going to be built probably like the next few weeks in a kind of like proper in app way. But we'll, we'll do that with all this knowledge that we've accumulated as a result of testing it, you know. And I think we're like as a result of this testing, I think we're able to like seven x the amount of people who complete the form, which is just like an insane improvement. Yeah. Wow. It would have taken us months to do this, and you can look through it if you want. You can kind of see what's going on there, and you can see why it might have improved it that much. But that like we like. We did this, did all like those tests, you know, probably like three, four tests in the space of maybe a month, you know, whereas like I don't know That's how amazing. long it's going to take it. And I, and I think another, another thing people don't really talk about is kind of like 
I think there's like common probably like engineering enthusiasts, if you know, where I don't think most engineers are enthused about rebuilding the same flow over and over again with slight different no. variants, you know. <laughs> but, but, uh, but that's like how you lose an engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 now but now by the time that's going to an like an engineer, a proper engineer, we're, we're pretty sure we know what works and you know? like they'll basically be making it look a lot nicer and work a lot better and fix some little issues that are cropping up. But like this will probably what what it's going to be will probably be more or less what it is for the next you know couple of years you know so yeah but we're so we're still we're still testing things on top of no code but then not yeah so and hopefully that won't change yeah that's awesome i'm i'm wondering do you think it'd be easy enough to show the a b test like if i just did a screen share on the podcast right now because i'm i'm really curious about how you're doing this and i'm sure a lot of other people are as well um, I don't know if you can see the, you can, you can see what the current flow looks like. I don't know how it should yeah, be. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, sometimes you know, the AB tests, it's like, are you using like Optimizely yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Uh, no, we, we actually just, we actually just ran them like back to back. So like, yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Just because the, yeah, like we, like we're yeah, like B2B companies we don't have like huge volume, but, uh, yeah, but this, this, nice. this kind of like, current do you want to, do you want to screen share it or I was, I was doing it originally, but it's probably better if you did this. Yeah, let me let me just uh, let me just check. It's um, amazing, seven seven x improvement. That's like unheard yeah. of. I feel like I I haven't checked the most recent numbers, but it was like uh, something around that. Uh, can can you see this now? Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, this is kind of like our, our website, and like this, you'll kind of like see what's happening here. That uh, uh, yeah, basically kind of go through uh, yeah this is kind of all this is all done on unbounce you know and and uh um, amazing kind of like you can kind of like see what's happening here uh but, but it looks it doesn't look terrible you know considering it's 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 uh it's on um unbounce, no, it looks great know? it looks great yeah i mean i went through the flow because i'm looking at marketers for uh for Br for bridge and uh yeah i had no idea it was on unbounce i was like oh this is great great flow yeah, but there's some stuff that just feels a little bit janky, but like uh, I actually probably end up uh, disqualifying myself. Uh, yeah, but but then it kind of like this, this is all yeah. still on unbound. So so it all looks like uh, it all looks like like not bad, you know. But it's it's yeah, all yeah. still it's also a little bit janky. It looks a little bit like weird at times. And then we for whatever it's worth to schedule for whatever things. it's worth. For whatever it's worth, I've I've studied a lot of uh, onboarding flows and dug into them, and this didn't feel janky to me. Uh, like relative to, I mean, you're not like Airbnb scale, like uh, for a company your size. I thought it was like pretty good. Like it was right, above so that's, average for whatever that's worth. <laughs> that's that's good. That's good. Maybe maybe we maybe we hold ourselves to too high a standard. But yeah, it will be a lot nicer if you if you come back in two weeks. It'll be a lot nicer. So yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So you're using Unbounce and like for 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 the B test, you're using like another piece of tech and like routing it. No, no. Basically, the, it was like a, it was like a different version, but but with like different questions and different. Oh, you know, got like it. Different different sequencing of things. So it was basically like got it, it was got all it. the same things. Like yeah, it was all, all the same kind of things. But yeah, but like I think the the, the big difference. I think one of the big improvements was like. Um, kind of like asking their name and email address up front and then basically like, yeah, like building up their motivation by kind of like getting them a little bit hyped by like asking them kind of questions that kind of like, like sell the service a little bit and then kind of like doing all that before actually like yeah. asking to schedule a call. So we're kind of like 
yeah, it's, so it it's kind of like yeah. yeah, it's kind of like some you know, psychology in there trying to figure out like yeah, like how yeah how people interact with the processes they go through it and what what they're thinking at each stage. Uh, but that's for a sure. Other, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Um, so coming back to what you're bringing up before with like code review, version control, and everything like that, that's like from what I've seen so far, that's the point at which the engineering team's like, all right, there are too many people in, in the company and like we have to just move to code inevitably. But it seems like yeah. if no code could solve those issues, like code review, version control, like um, unifying like like error messaging into like the code error messaging systems. Yeah. Like it, it seems like no code would scale like multiple times over potentially as far as like how long it was part of the stack relative to like revenue. Um, yeah, yeah. Definitely. How do you guys, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, oh, sorry, how do you guys yeah. handle that? Um, so for us, uh, yeah, I was gonna say that like, like people, people think about lots of this stuff as being, you know, like stuff that software engineers do, but lots of it's like, it's like lots of it's quite recent, you know, at least like it was probably like, 10, 20 years of software engineering without all this kind of stuff. So it's like, there's quite a bit of catch up to do to reach the like best practices that are kind of like prevalent today. But I think, I think for us, yeah, like I think to be honest, like we're definitely not doing things you know, in as robust a way as we probably would need to at scale. For example, like we don't yeah, like yeah. properly, we don't, we don't have things running on a staging environment, you know, which is like, uh, like we, yeah. we do sometimes if it's like a big process, but like typically we're working on the, working live, you know, which is, uh, which is like definitely not best practice and requires like a lot of trust and probably like is, is something that you'd never be able to do with someone other than me doing it, you know? So I think for us, I think mostly we've been like benefiting from our smallness, you know, that like, and yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. That, like, like, yeah, we have like a high trust environment, but, but I, I like, to, I, I'd say to scale beyond this level, like if I were to hire, like, um, like say like, uh, like a marketer or someone who wants to change the sign up flow, you know, like I, like I, I need to have a lot of trust in that person to be confident in letting them like do this, you know, and that's just because yeah. like, you know, like trust systems kind of replace trust, you know, if you have like a version control system, if you go into limited damage rates, do all this kind of stuff, you just don't need to trust people as much, you know, so I could like have an engineer working on something and they're like, they're like putting in pull requests or whatever. And like, I don't need to trust them nearly as much as I need to trust someone who's like, working directly in a live environment you know so i think it's like i think the better the tooling gets the less trust you'll need and that the less trust you lead the more accessible will be at, the, at a larger scale but but so i think that's like one of the big problems that like no code needs to overcome uh you know yeah. but I, but i think i think like unlike many other spaces they have such a good template and then the whole we're just looking at what software engineers do you know and then copying that you know i think it's it's, it's like such an obvious path of like what best practice is and it's been refined and whittles over decades, you know, so it's kind of, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not like they're flying blind, you know, you kind of like, we, we know how things, we know how to solve all these problems. We just have to apply that to the kind of like tool set that these people use, you know? So, yeah. 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 And you're talking about <clears throat> like in, in the context of no code tools, like building those features in or, or like you guys, um, implementing a process on your team, yeah, no, I, I think I think probably both, but I think I think for it to work more like to work more broadly, I think it needs to be done by by like these kinds of companies. And I think one one of my concerns is that I think a lot of these companies, I I, I like I'd like to see what their breakup of their customers is like, basically where their priorities are, you know, because it feels like like if if Zapier, for example, most of their customers are kind of like small businesses. 
like they probably don't have the you know even the incentive to want to build these tools to scale whereas other tools yeah. like say trade.io is, is a competitor to app here that's focused on more enterprise people it feels like they're probably more likely to be the one who kind of like builds you know the, the kind of more scales zapier just because like I'd imagine that most Zapier's users just aren't doing stuff like it's near the complexity the way that 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 we have, you know. Um, and that, that just means we're probably in the minority, whereas it's saying and that other tools were probably, you know, a lot more typical, you know, and especially ones that sell enterprises already, because they're like they even for stuff with limited access, they have the same requirements, you know. So like I, I don't yeah, know how it's gonna yeah. play out to be honest, but, but I do think like Airtable, uh, Zapier, for example, I, I'd imagine that their customers just skew not very complex, not very technically complex, and probably like relatively small scale, you know. And that probably means that like companies like Trade.io, who are focused like a scaled version of Zapier and Clay.run, uh, like, seem to be doing something promising. Like I yeah, wouldn't be surprised yeah, yeah. if it, I wouldn't be it's like a fragmentation of people who do it for like kind of like um, like scaled people and people who do it for kind of like SMBs and individual entrepreneurs and types, you know, so, but, uh, but I'm, I'm open-minded. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Zapier are obviously like a, a hugely impressive company who kind of like, like it must be astonishingly complex what they're, what they're managing, you know, and so oh, I, for I've, sure. I've, I've learned not to doubt them. <laughs> yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. That's how, that's how I've thought about it too, is like, they just don't have, I think most of the customers skew much smaller and haven't, they haven't scaled as far. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, I was, I was building uh, the prototypes for my startup on no code in like 2015. And I was like thinking through all these issues and I thought, I mean, it's been five years and the amount of features and just a uh, focus on scaling it's, it's been there. It's like made progress, but not nearly as much as I've thought. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then also just talking to them. I mean, it sounds like all of them know these are issues and they want to solve them, but it's not urgent. So yeah, it yeah. just doesn't reach the, it just stays on the backlog instead of getting prioritized. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, yeah. But I also think that like, like what Zapier built is they built like, um, like the infrastructure they probably already built is just such a foundational layer of what you'd need to do to build anything at scale, you know, that I think it's probably more, they're probably more product decisions as opposed to kind of like infrastructure problems where they probably just like yeah, yeah. need to figure out if they're going to like add that level of complexity to their product but most users don't care about it you know and if that's like worth it for them you know considering yeah 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 there's other people who are probably like more like tailored to suit that kind of market so yeah like we'll see but i think they're they're, they're a really impressive company in any case oh for sure yeah they're they're one of my favorites too yeah. as far as the the piece for like processes are you guys like what are you guys doing there to to like augment the features not being there like how how are you guys thinking about like quality control and like uh code review and stuff like that for yeah, like no, when no, you no. hire new people to like help with the no code stack um in particular yeah no i i think because of limitations i think most of our perspective have been to like probably like not hire people focused on the no code stack, you know, uh, just because mm -hmm. of like, like, it'll be I, like, again, like when I think it through, it would be very difficult to build that level of like trust and whatnot. Uh, yeah, so I think, think like, so. but, but, yeah, like, I think like, not even trust, but even like, yeah, like, like, it's not even that it's trust because it's, it's just, there's so much going on there, you know, that it's, it's, it's pretty much like, uh, like 
a proper, it's like a, a real system, you know, with all kinds of dependencies and all kinds of things going on, that even the amount of like knowledge that needs to be transferred for someone to be effective in it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, imagine like someone just like handed you over a code base where you like, it's just not documented and you just don't really know what's happening and things have obscure names and like things are, yeah, things yeah, are yeah. in weird places. It's like, even an amazing engineer couldn't handle that. So it's not even that, it's, it's not even their, it's not even the fault of these people. It's basically our fault or the fault of the systems, you know, that I think like really like when we're hiring, we're thinking more about like, how are we building, how are we going to build this properly at this stage? You know, I, I, I think that like, we, we don't want to basically, I think an ideal world would be able, would be able to do this without sacrificing a lot of the speed and flexibility that no code has enabled us. But that's something we're like, still figuring out you know and, and I, I, but i think the good thing about no code is that it doesn't need to be like a lot of people to be very effective with it you know that if like say if it's just like me or or my my brother testing things we could do that very quickly and very efficiently and, and then kind of like piece together pieces that other people have built you know like you can get like um like we have someone who builds unbalanced pages for us and he doesn't have to have any access to any of our existing stuff to be to build everything we need we just have to give him the instructions then he builds that then we like copy on him his unbound account and into ours so there's like mm -hmm. lots of ways you can that do you can lots of methods you can use to kind of like multiply your effectiveness you know but but, but basically i think scaling beyond the, the like uh, into a bigger team you know i think would be quite difficult you know so i think we've been like mostly thinking that's kind of like breaking points you know where you'll probably want to have more proper engineers and i think the good thing is that mostly for lots of this stuff that are being properly engineered. We're at the point where we're like, we know what works, you know. So it's not like we're building in a, 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 a an environment of ambiguity where we, we we like we we think this could work, but we're not sure. We, we usually like test it on top of no code, and we're pretty confident that like the way we're approaching things makes sense, you know. So it just means that like mm -hmm. they're able to build in a like with relative certainty compared to like the usual kind of like startup ambiguity, you know. So um, yeah, so that's like. Maybe hopefully it will become less necessary and then like we'll like like maybe these tools will catch up in the meantime that will mean that we can expand this kind of like capability to more people yeah for sure do, do you think um as far as like the stack overflow pieces that, that need to happen to scale uh no code do you think those are going to be like a new product or do you think like stack overflow is gonna um kind of build their feature set and try to try to mold the the product for no code yeah, well, like Stack Overflow, like they they are actually already operate like they're, yeah. they're just like they already operate. They have like a literature section. They have like a grammar section, you know. So they actually have like oh really? They they have have, all, yeah, yeah, yeah they, yeah. they actually have a fairly like broad knowledge base. So it's actually like quite active. And I think Stack Overflow, which really? is their kind of code brand, is like the most popular. But they're like they're overall like just does lot. They already have the infrastructure built to kind of like expand into different areas of knowledge. And I think like some of them are actually like. You come across them on Google location okay, so they've done like a decent job of like building communities around these things. So, but but like but like you know like like what they'll do with you know like the companies that are doing like GitHub aren't going to do you know this you know they're not like yeah they're not going to yeah, yeah. like, do like they're not going to do like they're just not going to do that. GitHub like, for no code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I don't think most tool, most engineering -y tools will never expand into no code. I'd say you know unless yeah yeah like, yeah agnostic infrastructure like stripe that would like it doesn't really matter where stripe is being used all this is like an api call basically like i think like yeah people, like, i think like companies like that will but i think like ones that are kind of like deep in processes like they'll be like 
I think that would be a monumental shift for them to make, you know, but maybe, totally. maybe they will, but yeah, but I, I can't imagine it. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I've thought about it too. It's like if, if they don't have to like change their like tech infrastructure to accommodate no code, then they're gonna probably go into it. But like the more substantial changes need to happen on their on their tech, the less likely it is, which is kind of what yeah. every every like competitive expansion you decide to go into as a tech company. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so to wrap things up here, uh, if if you could talk to yourself at the start of this whole process, like right when you founded uh, Advisable and you were building this no-code stack, what would you do differently? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, pro I probably would have like, because I, I, feel, I feel like, especially at the start, I was like, um, you know, you know, it was, I, I was approaching with a little bit of trepidation, you know, that it felt a little bit wrong. <laughs> you know, and it was just yeah. like, oh, we're doing, you know, I don't think you should be. I think, I think, like, I, I think it should be something that, like, you're proud of, you know, that you're like, it's the best way to test things, you know. And I think, like, like, and I, I think people should be a lot more open about it, you know. But, but I think, like, I think, I don't know. I think, I feel like, like, certain VCs, some VCs, like a little bit of hand waving, you know. They like to think that things are. Like crazily complex, they like think it's a lot more like def defensible. They, they they like to like be able to point to like uh, like someone who's kind of like figuring out all this, you know, who ideally has like a PhD from some prestigious university, you know. Whereas I feel like you can do <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. you can you can do very complex things in no code without like uh, without necessarily like doing a lot of that stuff. But I think that's like a great thing, you know. You can do stuff way quicker than other people a lot of the time, you know. And I think that's like that should be like celebrated you know i think like uh yeah yeah you know i, I like you, i think like basically like building like overbuilding something with like limited uh like view a view of what whether it will work in a kind of like a biggest environment it's like the worst thing you can do you know i think you should be testing and validating the assumptions in as quick and efficient manner as possible you know i think no code enables you to do that and i think that's all startups are ultimately doing you know you just have like a set of assumptions and you want to validate them as quickly as cheaply as possible and then work to like exploit them you know and i think the faster you can do that the more likely you are to be successful and that's amazing you know so yeah 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 so so it's like you, you felt kind of like you didn't have a technical enough team or something or like you just weren't doing things right at the start and were like a little ashamed of using no code yeah, and I think I think also yeah. I think like I was yeah, the same I, way I think, when I started. <laughs> I I, yeah, I was yeah. like I was like we need more technical people. Like we're this this is like a huge problem. And then looking back on it, I'm like, no, it's like exactly how like if if an engineer was on the team right at the gate, we should do it the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we, I think yeah. we were also like yeah, like I think like I, I actually think the approach of having like a proper engineer build things properly at the same time just makes a lot of sense and like we, we we kind of did that by accident and we were just like incredibly fortunate that like someone referred thomas to us and then we ended up working together and like i think that's yeah. just meant that like we're not just doing a pure transition where like we're, we're like there'll be no like this there'll be no like you know like restart you know we're, we're, we're kind of like building things in a kind of like progressive way so it's not like we have to like we built this thing on no code and then we have to like build it again on code we've been kind of like like maintaining like we'll be we're switching things over feature parity if not better you know and i think that's mm -hmm. like like that like that that was, i think we made that decision because of luck but i think that, that was like the best uh uh thing possible you know and i think like if we had gone like the whole way no code i feel like that probably would have been bad in a different way you know uh yeah and i yeah. think like 
no, yeah, but but um, yeah, but that that was kind of like an accident, more or less. So Calvary take credit for a good decision. Yeah, that that that's awesome. It sounds like you guys just started off with like the perfect combination of code and no code, and it's it's worked out super well. Well, uh, thanks a ton for coming on here. Um, this has been an awesome episode, and I, I feel like this is gonna just add a ton of value to people from like engineers who are uh, looking at no code and wondering whether or not they should embrace it. And also um, other no code founders who are wondering how to uh, just think about scaling no code as well. So, so thanks for sharing the whole story. No problem. No problem. If anyone wants to reach out they're they're, they're welcome to email me at like peter at advisable.com and I'm happy to try to provide a few sentences worth of help. So yeah. That'd be amazing. Where else can people find you to keep up with you? Uh, on Twitter, mostly. Then um, Peter O um, M A L L E T. So Peter O Malet or Peter O Malet, if you're uh, if you're of the French persuasion. So nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. Well, thanks again for coming on. No worries. No worries. Thank you very much, and have a good one. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll include links to any of the tools that we spoke about here in the show notes. To keep up with the no code and code conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at at underscore David Head. That's at underscore D-A-V-I-D-H-E-A-D. This podcast was created by my company Bridge and Content Allies. I want to tell you a little bit about Bridge for a moment. I created Bridge because I don't want to see any more companies stop growing because their no code tools stop scaling. I personally scaled a lot of these tools to the limit and migrated to code many times over. At the Y Combinator-backed startup that I founded and other teams that I've been a part of, advised, and interviewed. I want to help share the insights that I've learned over the last few years with you now. To do this, my team and I at Bridge have created a free assessment for you to get personalized insights on when your stack will stop scaling and an action plan on what to do to migrate, including strategies for success, pitfalls to avoid, and new tools to use. To be clear, we're not sending you a blog post or anything. This is specific insights tailored to your exact stack your company details, and how much traction you have. So if you're growing on no-code, I highly recommend taking this to get ahead of the curve. You can take the free assessment at www.bridge.so slash scale. That's www.bridge.so slash S-C-A-L-E. So why is the assessment free? It's free because it helps us give back to the community, but it also helps us know which other pieces of content that we need to create. In addition to which other products, services, and features need to exist to make this no-code movement more successful. So I'll also be selecting 10 out of the first 100 submissions to set up one-on-one calls with, where you can ask me any questions that you want about how to be more successful with no-code tools. Again, the URL for the assessment is www.bridge.so slash scale. That's www.bridge.so slash S-C-A-L-E. And before we head out, I want to give another shout out to Content Allies for helping us launch this podcast. Content Allies turns CEOs into thought leaders through content marketing. They interview you via video and then turn that interview into video clips, articles, podcasts, and social posts. They're the team that powers all the content that we do here at Bridge and this podcast that you're listening to. You can learn more and reach out to them at contentallies.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-T-A-L-L-I-E-S.com.